another edition college football betting. I'm your host, Eric Torres. Hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody is ready for what should be just an awesome Saturday in college football. It is the week seven edition of college football betting, and we have ourselves a loaded slate of games in week seven. We are obviously talking Bama, Tennessee. We are obviously talking Penn State, Michigan. We are obviously talking Utah, USC, Clemson, Florida State, LSU, Florida. That's how good this week's slate is. LSU, Florida is going in segment two. That is how good this college football weekend is. Really excited to get the preview going. Uh, Before we do, by the way, a couple quick announcements. One, continue to appreciate everybody's support of college football betting with Aaron Torres. Do believe we give out as good good of information as as anywhere on the internet. So we appreciate your support. And oh, by the way, also on top of that, we appreciate you sharing. We're growing. Uh, if, you, if you're not subscribed, make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, also the YouTube channel continues to grow. College Football Betting with Aaron Torres. All you got to do is find it on YouTube. Thank, every, thank you to everyone for your support. Also, want to thank the support of our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook. By now, I have told you their story. Started in 1967 in the UK, over 1,600 shops in the UK. They have come to the United States and are just making an absolutely massive splash, okay? Presenting sponsor not only of Aaron Torres Media, College Football Betting Podcast, but also on top of that, presenting sponsor of the Cincinnati Bengals, of the Denver Broncos, of the Colorado Rockies. Not sure if you saw this, Mike Florio actually gave a quick shout out to Betfred Uh, He was covering something related to the Bengals, saw the Betfred logo, said, I need to learn more about Betfred. So shout out to Betfred. Awesome company. We're excited to be working with them. And I would add as well, I always tell you one thing I love about Betfred, nobody does a better job of taking care of their customers. We sent two listeners of the Aaron Torres pod with guests to the tailgate prior to last Thursday's Broncos Colts game. So thank you to Betfred for that. We're going to have more giveaways with the Bengals and with the launch of college or with sports betting in Ohio. And what I would tell you is right now, if you want to get into the action, it's pretty straightforward. All you got to do, go to the Betfred Sportsbook. And here's the deal. New bettors, bet 50 on any college game this weekend. Tennessee, Bama, Penn State, Michigan, uh, UConn, Ball State, whoever you want to bet on, Kentucky, Mississippi State. And Bet $50 and you get $250 in free bets, courtesy of Betfred, first-time users. So thank you to Betfred. We love working with them. They are the presenting sponsor of Aaron Torres Media and College Football Betting. With that said, let's get to just a jam-packed Week 7 slate. Um, and this is what's great about college football, right? We, we looked on the schedule. And I think we knew some of these games would be big. Utah, USC, I think we could envision from the beginning. Penn State, Michigan. One game that I don't think any of us thought was going to be as big as it is, though, is the one that we are going to open with, which is Tennessee hosting Alabama. Top 10 matchup for the first time in forever. I believe 1989 was the last time these two teams met as undefeateds on the third Saturday in October. So it's a huge game. Alabama is a seven-point favorite down from seven and a half in the Betfred Sportsbook. And listen, look, I, I, I could throw a million numbers at you, whatever. But I think at the end of the day, we all know what this game is about, right? We all want to know what happens with Bryce Young. What is his status? What's going to happen? What's not going to happen? Is he going to play? How much is he going to play? And obviously, you know, listen, I I try to give you the best advice that I can on this show. But as we record on Thursday, I think it's important for you guys and girls to go ahead and monitor the Bryce Young situation and obviously bet responsibly from there. What I would also say, though, is I do think there's a little bit of a difference between when I recorded last Thursday morning and this Thursday morning, and that's this. 
I thought even if Bryce Young did not play against Texas A&M, Alabama was still going to win, even if I didn't think they were going to cover, something we talked about on last show. I'm not sure that they can win without Bryce Young. And let's get into a little bit of the Bryce Young stuff, because right now, like I said, we don't have anything definitive. Uh, Nick Saban, I don't even think he's being coy. I I really think this is a day-to-day thing. And the last thing that we heard about Bryce Young prior to me recording was that Bryce Young is, is, is the words that Nick Saban used is on a pitch count. He's practicing, but maybe not 100%, not taking all those first-team reps. And I think part of that is, one, is he 100%, but then, two, got to make sure that Jalen Milrow might be ready just in case uh, Bryce Young isn't. But as we dive deeper into the Bryce Young thing, a couple things stand out to me. Really, the way that I see this and the way I think you have to approach it is I think we have to look at this game from three different potential perspectives. The perspective where Bryce Young plays and is 100%. The scenario where Bryce Young doesn't play at all. And then the scenario where Bryce Young plays, but he is far from 100%. Almost like Goldilocks and the Three Bears, right? That bed's too big. That bed's too small. That bed's just right. And so when I look at the Bryce Young situation, I'm just going to be blunt. When I look at the Bryce Young situation, I, I, I don't see, like, I see the scenario where he doesn't play. And I certainly see the scenario where he plays at less than 100%. I'm not sure that I see a scenario where he's at 100%. If he's at a pitch count on Wednesday's practice, now we're asking him to be 100% against one of the top 10 teams in college football? I think that's a lot to ask, and I think that skews how I view this game. I just don't think, even if Bryce Young plays, that we can expect him to be at 100%. And here's the other part. Is Nick Saban going to let him loose? Because just think about it from Nick Saban's perspective, right? Nick Saban knows, listen, one, I have this kid's future to protect. But then two, on top of that, uh, and and I'm not saying Nick Saban is putting the team before Bryce Young, but I think he also knows this. I can lose at Tennessee this week and still win a national championship. I can win maybe potentially even without Bryce Young. The one thing I can't do is get Bryce Young so hurt that he's out for the year because we can't win a national championship with Jalen Milrow. And so I think these are the things that Nick Saban is weighing. I think these are the the things that Bryce Young is weighing. But as we look at the other factors and the other variables in this game, I do think there's some important stuff to consider as well. First off, I think we have to talk about the fact that Alabama really, you know, underachieving, disappointing is not the right word. But Nick Saban, and I talked about this on when, on Thursday's Aaron Torres pod, Nick Saban had some very interesting comments about his team on, uh, I guess it would have been Monday or Tuesday of this week. And he said something essentially, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but we need to focus on not making losing plays before we focus on winning. And what he meant by that was if you look at all of the things that determine wins and losses, Alabama is not very good at most of them. Okay. Now Alabama's defense is awesome. Their pass rush is elite. Uh, This is the best front seven that Tennessee will have seen by a mile this year. But beyond that, Alabama's kind of a sloppy team this year. So take out the Bryce Young factor. You know that Alabama currently right now is ranked 117th nationally in turnover margin? We're talking about USC in a minute. USC is number one in turnover margin, 14 turnovers forced one turnover themselves. Alabama has only forced three turnovers all year. And keep in mind, the two best teams that they've played maybe, I would say Arkansas is probably maybe the best team outside of Texas. But Texas A&M, a backup. Texas, a backup for three quarters. They've only forced three turnovers all year. So Nick Saban's worried that they don't create turnovers. Here's the other thing that nobody wants to talk about. Alabama is one of the most penalized teams in college football. 118th nationally in penalties. I looked it up. Remember that Texas game? 
15 penalties, the most penalties ever for a Nick Saban coach team in Alabama? Well, they had 10 two weeks later against Arkansas. So two road games, 10 and, or 12 and a half penalties per game. This is a team that is not very good on the road right now. Now, again, I know they were up big on Arkansas, and that changes the calculus a little bit, but I, I think that is an important variable that needs to be discussed. From the Tennessee perspective, I'll just say this. You know, there's a lot of teams I don't think we know a lot about at this time of the year, USC being one. Penn State we're going to talk about, Michigan in a minute. I think we know who Tennessee is. They're really good. They are a super potent offense. You don't get through six games with three in the SEC, uh, two or three in the SEC, whatever it is, plus a road game at Pitt. Um, and you're number one in the offense, number one nationally in offense if you don't know what you're doing. And so when I look at Tennessee, I see a team that knows who they are, and I see a quarterback that is confident in who he is and confident in how to run this offense. Hennon Hooker, 70% completion percentage, uh, 10 touchdowns, zero interceptions. On top of that, in the biggest game of the year when they needed him, 100-plus yards rushing against Florida, and that's another variable when he take into this game. Alabama might not have Bryce Young. They might not have Bryce Young at 100%. They're one of the most penalized teams in college football. They turn Their turnover margin is terrible. Keep in mind also, Hennon Hooker is the exact quarterback that has given Nick Saban fits through the years. Makes plays on the run, makes plays with his feet, all of that stuff. I'd be a little bit worried if I was Alabama going into this game. Finally, I, I would add this, and I think this is an important variable. I do think this is the best front seven that Tennessee will have seen all year long. The Tennessee front seven is pretty good too. They got after Jaden Daniels last week. Nine tackles for loss, five sacks. And I think if Jalen Milrow is back in that pocket, whew, boy, oh boy, oh boy, I'd be a little bit worried. So I don't tell you how to bet, but going to talk to the Betfred people later. My Betfred boost, the best bet of the week. It is Tennessee plus seven against Alabama. And I think depending on what happens with Bryce Young, I might mess around with that money line a little bit too. Listen, if Alabama goes to Tennessee, top 10 team on the road, they've struggled on the road and they get this, then, then we give them all the credit in the world. But I think when you look at how Tennessee plays, who Hendon Hooker is, all of the variables that go into this game, I see the scenario where it's probably a little bit closer than people think. I see the scenario where Tennessee potentially pulls off the upset. Let's keep it going. The other marquee top 10 matchup, and it's funny, right? It, it is Penn State at Michigan. Again, a top 10 matchup in this, uh, this crazy weekend of college football that we're about to get. And I think what's interesting about this Tennessee matchup or this Tennessee matchup, this Penn State, Michigan matchup, Michigan is a seven point favorite in the Betfred Sportsbook, the over under 51 and a half. What I do think is important in this game is what I just said a second ago about Tennessee. We know very much who Tennessee is. Tennessee offense, fast paced, hen and hooker, pass rush is good. Pass defense isn't very good. I don't know how much we really know about Penn State or Michigan. Penn State, listen, I think we all love them after that Auburn game. I include myself in the mix on that. I would also say, though, uh, Auburn is pretty, pretty, pretty bad ever since then. Um, and so I think how much of how we feel about Penn State, how much of that is determined by the fact that they destroyed an Auburn team that we now know is terrible. On the flip side, Michigan, listen, 6-0, and uh, have yet to play a ranked team. Probably the best team they played was Maryland. They struggled to put away Maryland 30-24. to 34-27, credit to them. Um, but then also, you know, last week in Indiana, it was 17-10 to 10 going into the fourth quarter before Michigan eventually pulled away. 
And so as I look at these two teams, I do think we're going to learn a lot about them. I think we're going to learn a lot about one specific player in this game, and that is Michigan quarterback J.J. McCarthy. And so, listen, I'm not anti-J.J. McCarthy. I'm not saying they picked the wrong guy. Even if they did, Cade McNamara's not available, so he would have been the quarterback anyway. But what I would say is, and I give credit to Jim Harbaugh, I give credit to their offensive coaching staff. They have done a good job to date of taking, making sure J.J. McCarthy doesn't beat him, keeping him out of harm's way. Last three games since he was officially named the starter, 243 yards against rushing, 243 yards rushing against Maryland. Thank you, Blake Corn. 172 yards rushing against Iowa, 165 yards rushing against Indiana. And when you look at the national rankings in terms of stats, in terms of rushing yardage, you know, you, you Blake Corum's pretty high on the list, 735 yards rushing. That is fourth most in college football right now. And so Michigan, to its credit, they know who they are. They know who their identity is. They play slow. They play physical. Uh, my favorite stat, uh, uh, time per play. In other words, how long goes between when one snap to the other, they're towards the bottom of college football, which means they like to chew up the clock and slow things down. I think they know who they are. I think what I've also seen from JJ McCarthy is a guy that can be a little bit erratic with the football when he's asked to do too much. I always go back to it. That Michigan state game last year, JJ McCarthy had a fumble late. I looked a little spotty in that Maryland game early in the year. And so this is where it gets interesting because Penn State has by far, what did I just tell you about Michigan, right? Michigan wants to run the ball, run the ball right at you, take the ball out of J.J. McCarthy's hands. Penn State has by far the best run defense that Michigan has faced all year. How about this? Top five nationally in rush defense right now, giving up 78 yards per game, just three total rushing touchdowns allowed, and less than three yards per carry on the season. And so I give Penn State a ton of credit. That defense is legit. That defense is going to make J.J. McCarthy make plays. And I don't know if he is capable of doing that. Beyond that, what I would also say, I think it's really interesting when Penn State has the football as well. Because the one thing about Penn State, I think they're finally starting to get an identity. If you go back to last year, do you remember Penn State? Do you remember how bad that rushing offense was for Penn State last year? Everybody remembers the win-loss record. I think a lot of people forget, and we're going to talk about it in a minute, that Sean Clifford got hurt. Penn State last year was ranked 118th nationally in rushing yarders. They were terrible running the ball. This year, they're ranked 33rd in the country, in large part thanks to Nicholas Singleton, the true freshman. Listen, you wonder what a five-star that rushed for like 4,000 yards during his high school career looks like? It's Nick Singleton. He was awesome at Auburn, 140-something, 24 yards against Auburn, 87 a few weeks ago against Northwestern. And I look at this Penn State team and I say, man, this is a team. They appear to be able to run the football, but they're kind of like Michigan as well. They play uh, – this will be the best run defense that Penn State has faced all year, and it will be interesting to see if they are able to move the ball as successfully as some of these other teams. One other note on Penn State, and I think this is important. We talked about this a lot on last week's show. Penn State is coming off of a bye. I do think at this time on the calendar, that is a really, really, really important thing. I really do think that with Penn State coming off of a bye, with their ability to run the football, with their ability to potentially make J.J. McCarthy make plays, here's the other variable, too. I don't think enough people talk about it. Let's go back to last year for half a second on this team, okay? 
everybody remembers Michigan made the playoff. Everybody remembers Penn State stunk. They finished seven and five. Here's what I think a lot of people forget, though, and I do think this is really important when it comes to this game. Penn State did finish seven and five, but as I've told you many times, Penn State also, if you remember, and I think this is important, Penn State lost. Um, they did lose Sean Clifford in the middle of the season. He got hurt in that Iowa game. They were up 70 to three against Iowa. They end up losing that one less than 100% the next week at Illinois, back to back losses. The point I'm trying to bring up seven losses last season, five of them, or, or, or five losses last season, excuse me, four of them came by four points or less. You go back to Penn State last year. Here are their losses. And oh, by the way, you know what one of their losses was last year by four points or less? It was to Michigan in a game that they led with four minutes left in this game. I believe this is an even matchup. I believe that it's balanced. And I believe that Penn State can pull out the outright upset. The other thing to keep in mind in this one, and I do think this part's important, uh, these games have historically been very low scoring. Last year, Michigan State, Michigan won 21 to 17. That's a total of what, 38. Uh, Penn State won 27 to 17 in the COVID year. That is a 45, 44 total, 28 to 21. That's a 49 total. So you go down the list, the over under 51 and a half. That's a pretty juicy number. History tells us it's going to go under, uh, but I also think Penn State is tough. I think this is the game where Penn State, you know, I, I'm going to talk about this on the Aaron Torres podcast on Friday. This is the game that I do kind of think. We went into last week having a lot of questions about Tennessee. We came out saying, oh, that's a really good team and a potential playoff threat. I do think there's a scenario where we could have the same with Penn State. Veteran quarterback with Sean Clifford, who I've barely talked about. Run game helps Sean Clifford. I think Penn State keeps it close in Ann Arbor. Let's wrap with the third really, really, really big game. We'll take a quick break, come back, and do some quick hitters on everybody else. Let's go to beautiful Salt Lake City, or so I hear. I think I've driven through Salt Lake City. I've never really spent much time there. Neither here nor there. You don't care about my driving habits. Utah at UC, or USC at Utah. This game is obviously one of the biggest ones of the Pac-12 slate. Utah is a three-and-a-half-point home favorite. The over-under is set for 65. Um, and let me just say this even before we get into the breakdown of the game. Can we credit Lincoln Riley? I mean, listen, you know, and I said this a few weeks ago with, with Brian Kelly and Marcus Freeman, and Marcus Freeman has done a nice job bouncing back. But it says something about a coach. When a coach can go somewhere, take a 4-8 and eight roster, and completely flip it around, and they're 6-0 and oh right now, it's worth noting, by the way, the place that he left. And Oklahoma fans are going to make every excuse in the book. It's Lincoln Riley's fault. It's the transfer portal. It's this. It's that. And I understand they didn't have their starting quarterback last week, Dylan Gabriel, for Oklahoma. Oklahoma's a complete mess right now. And so I only bring it up to say credit Lincoln Riley, man. I had, I thought this team would be good. I do think that they are very much ahead of schedule though at six and oh, I thought they'd get tripped up somewhere. I thought they'd probably lose this game to Utah, lose to UCLA, finish about eight and four, nine and three. And we call it a day. Well, they win this game. All of a sudden we could be talking about UCLA, USC to go to the college football playoff because USC does not have Oregon or Washington on the schedule. In terms of USC itself, I think it's interesting. Let's talk a little bit about them because what's interesting about them is it, there's two things that really stand out to me. One, I do think that when we think about Lincoln Riley, we think about the passing offense. We think about all the great quarterbacks that he's had. Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, win Heisman trophies. Uh, Jalen Hurts, obviously, of course, was a Heisman runner-up. Caleb Williams is probably potentially going to be the number one pick in the draft in 2024. But I don't think people realize 
USC is playing really good complementary football right now. They're actually running the ball about 34 times a game, passing the ball about 32 times per game. And so a lot of these great offenses, we think of the Steve Sarkeesian offense, the Lane Kiffin offense, the Lincoln Riley offense, that they're all based on throwing the ball all over the field. No, they're actually based on the run. And to USC's credit, they have done a great job of that so far. And I think I, I, I think you could argue, I'm not saying that I would, but I think you could argue that Travis Dye, the transfer from Oregon, has been their MVP so far. I'm not saying that I necessarily totally a thousand percent believe it, but 149 yards rushing last week against Wazoo, 133 against Oregon State, and they needed every one in that narrow win, 102 against Fresno, 105 against Stanford. So for the last five games, he's hit the 100-yard mark. I think that's important here. USC is winning because of the complimentary football they're playing. They're also winning because of what I just told you a minute ago with Alabama. They have an insane turnover margin. How about this? 14 turnovers forced, one turnover the entire season. And they also have a top 15 red zone defense. And so I've talked about this before, but like this idea that USC, if they don't score 60 points, they're not going to win. That's just not true. They're forcing turnovers. They're good in the red zone. They run the ball. They do all the things that you need to win. Now, what would concern me about this game? Utah's a three and a half point favorite in the Bedford Sportsbook. And I think it's for an obvious reason. One, home game for Utah. Two, and I think this is important. Most of what USC does well, Utah does well as well, and they're just a more established team and program and brand and whatever. And when I say brand, I mean like the last five years. I'm not talking about over the history of college football, just so that's clarified. But Utah, listen, they lose at UCLA last week. And I'll say this, man, like it was very weird to me to see the reaction to Utah losing to UCLA. I saw all this, oh, you know, this proves Utah was overrated and how could anybody pick them to make the playoff? I think UCLA is just really good. And if you look at Utah over the course of the season, I know they lost week one to Florida. Keep in mind, that's week one, Anthony Richardson, there's no tape, whatever. Fast forward to, to the rest of the season, they were really good up until that UCLA game when UCLA just gashed them for over 200 yards on the ground. I do wonder if USC has the guys up front to contend with Utah on the defensive line and in the front seven. Um, Utah has a pretty good run defense. Statistically, it doesn't look great thanks to UCLA putting up 200 yards on the ground last week. But this is a team that I think is really good, even if they are sitting at four and two here in the middle of the season. The other thing that I think it's important when it comes to Utah, they do a really good job of taking care of the football. UC, USC has by far the best, um, the best turnover margin in college football. Utah's in the top 15 nationally. Cam Rising, to his credit in his career, 33 touchdowns, eight interceptions. This year, 13 touchdowns, three interceptions. And he's done a very good job of taking care of the football as well. And so if I'm a USC fan, I think those are two variables that come into play. What I have done well to get us to this point, I've run the ball and I've taken care of the football. That is, Those are two things that Utah does very well in their own right. And it would concern me if I was a USC fan. So the Betfred uh, line here is three and a half. I do like Utah. I also think the other thing to consider, Utah's played two really tough road games. This is their first trip back. I think their first real big game in Salt Lake City. I do think this part is important as well, is that from the USC perspective, they're six and oh, give them credit. I'm not trying to take away what they've done, but 17 to 14 win against Oregon State where they easily could have lost that game. And they did beat Stanford 41 to 28 on the road in week two. But even in that game, 
Stanford had four turnovers. And I know part of this is credit to the USC defense, but Stanford had four turnovers. And on top of having four turnovers, this is the important part. Two of them were deep inside USC territory or deep inside their own territory, I should say, which set up basically 10 gimme points. So if, if Stanford just took care of the ball punted, all of a sudden we're looking at a 31-28 game instead of a 41-28 game. I do think Utah wins. I do think Utah covers. The Betfred Sportsbook bet is three and a half, uh, and that is my pick. That's what I do. I do want to take a quick break. I do want to come back, and when I come back, I do want to talk about the rest of the games on the Week 7 slate. LSU Florida, Florida State Clemson, maybe a little Kentucky, Mississippi State, although like Alabama, we don't really know what's going on with the quarterback Will Levis. We're going to continue the conversation. Really fun Saturday in college football coming up. I'll be right back. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Let's rip through the rest of the week seven slate in college football. We got to the three big ones earlier. Alabama, Tennessee, Penn State, Michigan, Utah, USC. Utah, USC is one of the evening kickoffs. How about this for another evening kickoff that is worth monitoring and worth enjoying? Clemson on the road at Florida State was once one of the great rivalries, not only in the ACC, but in all of college football. Florida State's been down. Florida State is probably a little bit better than they have been, although they're coming in on a two-game win streak. Clemson, a three-and-a-half-point favorite in the Betfred Sportsbook. And, oh, by the way, the over-under in this one feels a little bit high to me at 51. Let's get into it. Let's talk about, let's discuss this game, because I got to ask a very simple question. Is there any team in college football that is just like, just going out every week, taking care of business, no drama, right? Georgia has drama. Alabama has drama. Michigan, even a couple of their games are kind of like, what's going to possibly? No, Clemson's just going out and destroying everybody, and nobody's talking about them. And I know it's the ACC, and I know it's whatever. But obviously, look, I I guess I shouldn't say they're destroying everybody. They did need overtime against Wake Forest. But the week after that, they take care of NC State at home. The week after that, they beat Boston College on the road. And so I would just love to know how many teams right now in the last three weeks two top 25 wins, two conference road wins. And I know Boston College isn't great, but they're a really, really, really good team. And on top of that, I think they're doing it for two reasons. One, let's just give a little credit to DJ Uwe Laganlele. Excuse me, Uwe Laganlele, okay? Let me uh, let me give credit to DJ here. And I butchered his name and I apologize. It's a mental hurdle right now. I used to know how to say it, now I don't. But, like, we criticized DJ all offseason. We criticized DJ early in the year again after that Georgia Tech game. He's not the guy putting Cade Klubnik. You realize he has currently thrown 14 touchdowns and two interceptions this season, halfway, midway point of the season? This after he threw nine touchdowns and 10 interceptions a year ago. Already surpassed his touchdown total in half of the season that he had all of last year in 13 games. And he's doing it, you know, the completion percentage isn't amazing. 
but 64% completion percentage, throwing the ball downfield. Bo Collins has established himself. So that's one reason why Clemson has stepped up. The other reason, their defense, I don't think people realize. And like, by the way, this is part of why I'm critical of Brent Venables. You look at Brent Venables right now at Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley's rolling at USC in year one. The Clemson defense is insane without Brent Venables. So was it a Brent Venables thing or was it a Clemson has really good players thing? But I only bring it up because have you seen what Clemson's defense has done the last two weeks? Okay, so two weeks ago they play NC State at home. Really good team. Top 25 matchup. This is what they did specifically on the ground to NC State. They gave up 34 yards on 21 carries. Last week against Boston College. Gave up 25 yards on 30 carries. Not great at math, but according to my math, that is 59 yards allowed on the ground in 51 attempts in the last two games. Absolutely insane. I don't think Clemson is getting nearly enough credit for just how awesome they have been specifically in the run defense. And because of that, that is where I worry a little bit about Clemson or about Florida State coming into this one. Because Jordan Travis, really talented dual threat quarterback, But Jordan Travis is a guy that likes to beat you, and Florida State in general is a team that is better running the ball than they are passing it. Top 25 run defense or run offense nationally. Passing offense is closer to top 50 overall. And so this is a Florida State team that really does prefer to try to beat you on the ground, and I'm just not sure that they're going to be able to do it. Jordan Travis, again, really talented player, but he's only completing about 63% of his passes, nine touchdowns, uh, three interceptions this year. Um, and I do worry if they can't really get things rolling, are they, if they can't get things rolling in the pass game, are they going to be able to slow down or is, are they going to be able to move the ball period against Clemson? Keep it going from the Clemson perspective. DJ's playing really well. This is a very good Florida state pass defense. The run defense has struggled though. And I do believe Clemson will be able to move the ball. Do like Clemson minus three and a half. That is uh, in the Betfred sports book. I do like Clemson to cover this game. Let's keep it going, and it shows you how good the slate is in college football this week. We are now five games in, and I'm just now talking about LSU Florida. Now, I don't think either of these teams is really that good this year, but when you're talking about one of the great rivalries in the SEC in college football, two teams that have won multiple national championships this century, and they're the fifth best game this weekend at best, we got ourselves a fun Saturday. Uh, in the Betfred Sportsbook, Florida is a two-and-a-half-point favorite going into this one. Uh, the over-under in this one is 50-and-a-half. And I got a few questions. First of all, with LSU, I don't really know exactly what to make of them. Now, look, they're coming off the really bad loss to Tennessee. And I think everyone will say, oh, they stink, and Brian Kelly stinks, and Brian Kelly's the worst, and blah, 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 and this and that, okay? I get all that. I really, truly do. At the same time, if you just take out two, I just talked about this with USC and Stanford, but if you take out just two plays from that Tennessee LSU game last week, it's a little bit different, right? Opening play of the game, LSU muffs the punt, Tennessee recovers seven points right there. Right before the half, Brian Kelly, some weird timeout, clock management stuff, allows Tennessee to get the ball back, they get in field goal range, they kick a field goal, that's 10 points right there. So LSU loses to Tennessee 42-17. And I'm not saying that 30 to 17 is that much better. It does feel a little bit different. And again, those are two plays that we're talking about that completely changed how we perceive the game. And so when I look at LSU, I don't think they're quite as bad against as they were against Tennessee, but I think it's also worth monitoring and worth noting 
Like their two wins, they could have e- their two SEC wins so far. They easily could have lost. Fell down 17 nothing to Auburn. Ended up coming back to win 21-17. And then they did beat Mississippi State in a game that they trailed going into the fourth quarter. So I don't love LSU. But I do like LSU. The talent is there, especially at the skill positions. And I do think there's an important injury update here. Will Campbell, their starting left tackle, was out for Tennessee. If you saw it, that Tennessee pass rush just killed Jaden Daniels. Uh, But he is expected back for this game, or at least the report from Brian Kelly indicated that he might be. From the Florida perspective, I I have a couple thoughts as well. To me, it's almost like a tale of two games against Tennessee when I look at this game. Because I think we all look at LSU, oh, they're terrible. They got destroyed by Tennessee. And then there's the Florida perspective of they almost beat Tennessee. Maybe they're not as bad as we think. No, I think they're as bad as we think. And when I go back to that game, I kind of have one pretty straightforward question. Is Anthony Richardson that good of a quarterback? Or did he just have one great game against Tennessee a few weeks ago? Because I went back and looked up the stats. I said, I don't really feel like Anthony Richardson has been that good except in that game. Well, I went back and looked it up. How about this for some stats? How about this? We have in the, uh, it, for Anthony Richardson, this, th- these stats blew me away. Threw for 453 yards and two touchdowns in the win over Florida State. In his four other games against FBS opponents, Utah, Kentucky, South Florida, Missouri last week, he's thrown for 489 yards with one touchdown and five interceptions. So 453 yards against Tennessee, the Utah, Kentucky, South Florida, Missouri games combined 489 yards with one touchdown and five interceptions. Listen, I I don't try to tear down young guys. They're all doing their best. I just don't think he's a very good quarterback, at least not right now. I like LSU. I think the wrong team is favored. This will be one of my bet Fred best bets. I do like LSU plus two and a half. Uh, a couple other games and we'll get out of here. Uh, you know, a quick second segment on this show. You know, Mississippi State down to a four point favorite at Kentucky. Uh, they were up about seven, seven and a half, eight. But it appears as though Will Levis will play in this game. I guess my question with Will Levis, is it a little bit of the Bryce Young corollary when I look at Will Levis playing in this game? In other words, I just talked about Bryce Young to lead the show, even if he plays. If he's nowhere close to 100%, what does that really mean for Alabama? And I think it's it's exacerbated that much more for Will Levis in Kentucky. We saw what Kentucky looks like with Will Levis last week. Well, what, what are they going to be if he's on the field but at 40-50%? And it's the same Bryce Young conversation that we had as well. If Bryce Young was limited to a pitch count on Tuesday, Wednesday in practice, I don't believe he can be 100% come Saturday. If Will, if Will Levis wasn't healthy enough to play at all last week with a foot injury, now he's going to be running all over the field making plays? So an immobile Will Levis, the Kentucky run game is terrible, worst in the SEC, 92 yards per game, four touchdowns in six games. I think they struggle against a really good Mississippi State team. And Mississippi State's really interesting. By the way, if you listen to this show in the, in the, in the summer, the over-under win totals, if you remember, I talked about this. I said Mississippi State um, was six and a half. I said my favorite over-under win total in the entire SEC. Mississippi State right now is five and one. Their only loss was to LSU. The LSU loss, they led going into the fourth quarter. And remember, they were coming off of a, a trip to Arizona the week before. So they played Arizona in a night game, flew back. It was an 11 Eastern, 10 Central kickoff, fly back, then have to go play at LSU the next week, and they led going into the fourth quarter. Outside of that, Mississippi State is 5-0, and 
they're not only 5 and 0 oh, they've got double figure wins in all of those games 20 26 point win against uh, Memphis 19 point win against Arizona 31 point win against Bowling Green obviously the 18 point win against Texas A&M and a 23 point win against Arkansas it's one of the top probably 12 13 teams in the country we talk about Ole Miss we talk about you know, whoever, Tennessee is the second, third, fourth best team behind Alabama and Tennessee in the SEC. Is it possible that Mississippi State might be the third best team in this league? Speaking of the SEC, let's quickly uh, go through the other big one. Uh, Auburn at Ole Miss. Talked about this on Thursday's Aaron Torres pod. Ole Miss is a 16-point favorite in the Bedford Sportsbook list. Auburn's not winning this game. The only question is, can they make it respectable? And there's a very interesting note. There's two very interesting notes on this. One, Auburn thinks they can get Lane Kiffin as their next head coach. I don't know if I believe that, but could this be an audition for Lane Kiffin? Two, how about this? Auburn is 13-3 and all-time in Oxford. The only three losses came in 98, 08, 2008, and 2012. You know what happened at the end of each of those seasons? Auburn's coach got fired. So keep an eye out for that. I think Ole Miss wins. I would probably pick them to cover um, but yeah, man, fascinating, fascinating game. Speaking of fascinating game, Minnesota, a six and a half point favorite against Illinois. Listen, we got to give Brett Bielema some credit, man. Brett Bielema right now, as we record here, uh, Illinois is like, I think their over under win total was three and a half, four wins, something like that this year. They're five and one, obviously destroyed Wisconsin. Last week they beat Iowa nine to six. They play real defense at Illinois. Number two in the country in total defense. By the way, you know who's number one? Ah, uh, yeah, it's Minnesota. That's why in this game, the over-under is 39. Uh, neither of these teams play very fast in terms of time of possession. Uh, we've talked about it quite a bit, excuse me, with Minnesota. Minnesota is number one in time of possession, even ahead of some of the service academies, Air Force, Navy, Army, et cetera. Illinois, number seven. So you talk about a slow, low-scoring physical game. I don't know if I can take Minnesota, uh, you know, minus the points here as a almost a touchdown road favorite. Credit Illinois. Do think there is an interesting one also in the Big Ten West. Purdue hosting Nebraska. You know, it's weird. Purdue, Illinois, and Nebraska. How about that? All tied atop the the Big Ten the Big Ten West standings. Nebraska, of course, coming off back-to-back wins but Purdue a 13-and-a-half-point favorite. No super strong opinions on this one, but Purdue's playing really well. I think it's easy to sit here and say, Purdue, they stink. Who cares? Remember, they lost opening night to Penn State in a game that they were in control of. They lost to Syracuse. We didn't know it at the time. Syracuse is pretty good. Since then, Purdue has taken care of Minnesota and Maryland. Purdue might be the best team in the Big Ten West. Watch out. Speaking of Syracuse, how about them? How about those Syracuse Orange? Hosting a top 20 matchup at what is, I don't know what it's called now, the JP Wireless Dome. It's always the Carrier Dome to me, okay? But Syracuse, one of the best stories in the sport, a three and a half point favorite against NC State. No super strong opinions there. You know, Syracuse, I think we think of Dino Babers as this offensive savant. It is actually their defense, which is carrying them so far, a top 10 defense nationally, 271 yards per game allowed. I like Syracuse in that one. Uh, quiet uh, Pac-12 after dark week. Obviously, we have the USC-Utah game. But outside of that, not a ton of late-night football. Oregon State is a a three-and-a-half-point favorite against Washington. No super strong opinions there. Remember, Oregon and UCLA are on a bye. They play next week in Eugene. That's a big one. 
Notre Dame a 17-point favorite against Stanford. If you have a strong opinion on that one, good for you. It is a stay away to me. With that said, I think that's it for this episode of College Football Betting. If you're not subscribed, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music. Go to the YouTube channel. If you can do me that solid, go to the YouTube channel. I really would appreciate you helping your guy out uh, over on the YouTube channel for College Football Betting. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. If you could also, that'd be huge. Give us a quick five stars. Let us let people know. Helps us move up the charts, all that good stuff. Uh, and finally, make sure you're following me on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. Follow me on Instagram at Aaron Torres Pod. Great show this week. Fun show this week. We will be back on next Thursday with a week eight preview. As I told you, a couple big ones next week. We got Ole Miss at LSU. We got on top of that, uh, on top of the old Miss game, we also have the Oregon and uh, UCLA game. So a lot of fun games. Alabama will be back. We'll see what happens with them this week against Tennessee. They play Mississippi State, what could be a top, probably 10-12 matchup. Really fun weekend ahead. I appreciate all of you. I'll be back next week.